Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG that talks to the people driving the conversations that matter for our incredible innovation ecosystem in the Valley and beyond. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. On today's inaugural season two episode, we feature some incredible conversations. The first around a topic very close to home, generative artificial intelligence. And the second around innovation and how one company in Silicon Valley is getting us all closer to achieving an equitable net zero and delivering this incredible content to your eardrums via a complex matrix of hypersonic radio waves are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Leroux Munoz, General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Nadia Anderson. And I'm Peter Leroux Munoz. And we're excited to be bringing you the second season of Silicon Valley Vibes. On this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes, I caught up with Lightning's Chief Sustainability Officer, Keith Norman, to get his take on our change in climate, some of the challenges with the current pathways to an equitable net zero, and how Lighten's mission to develop new products and materials is already having a massive decarbonization impact. But first, I talk all things generative AI with Deloitte Silicon Valley managing partner, Karina Ruiz Singh. In my lifetime, I don't know that I've seen a technology pervade the public consciousness or cultural zeitgeist as rapidly as Gen AI has. Politicians, educators, parents, business leaders, we're all trying to learn how to productively use the technology and more importantly, trying to understand what its impacts are and will be. And just to double click on what you said about understanding, I will say that Karina provided the most clear-eyed, succinct, and practical explanation of Gen AI that I've heard in a really long time. You all are in for a treat. Let's listen in. Welcome everyone, you're plugged into Silicon Valley Vibes, the premier source for information and insights into the innovation economy. On today's episode, we welcome Karina Ruiz Singh, the Silicon Valley Managing Partner for Deloitte, as we discuss generative AI, investments in the technology, and what the future might hold in this space. Karina, it's great to have you join us. Thank you so much, Peter. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's start with the basics. For those who may be new to the technology, what is generative AI? Well, generative AI is, is really the next evolution of artificial intelligence from a technology perspective. It's the ability of the technology to be able to create through reams and reams of information that it's learned from, created in new content. And that's what makes it both interesting and a little bit risky, Peter. Uh, there are use cases on generative AI in the spaces of creativity, the arts, as well as coding, right? So there's, there's various ways in which it can be used and such an exciting space that De Deloitte for sure is very much interested in and versed in. Karina, what are the possible risks or ethical concerns related to Gen AI? I think there are a few things that we're tracking. One for sure is that these generative AI models are learning from information that it's picking up from the internet, from, from everything that's in the internet, right or wrong, true or not, biased or unbiased, right? It looks at data without any specificity, without any inclination of what is right or what is wrong. That to me, from a trustworthy standpoint, 
gives us pause about the power of that technology, but also the use of that technology. Uh, our, our chief futurist in the firm uh, would say that there, there are, there are, there's the allure of the technology, but there's also the risk in the technology. And I think the allure of the technology is the speed and the innovation that it can create for our workforce. But there's also the risks around bias that is maybe not intended, but unfortunately embedded in the way that these technologies are learning and learning on their own. Um, that creates for it, you know, opportunities for it to be used in ways that we would 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 not expect and would not hope for it to be used. So those are kind of the challenges of the technology, nascent as it is. And generative AI tools have really soared in popularity recently. Everyone's talking about chat GPT or BARD or stable diffusion or any number of different platforms or online tools that allow people to interact with the technology. Why is Gen AI so popular right now? I think, Peter, it's because it's so accessible. My mother, who's 72 years old, can go in and ask chat GPT or BARD, you know, and she's Filipino. If she wants to learn how to cook Indian food, which my husband is Indian, can go in and ask what's a what's a recipe, great recipe for uh, chicken masala, you know, and she'll start to learn it uh, in a conversational way. It's just so accessible, Peter. It's accessible, and it's also when it responds, super exciting because it almost seems like there's a human being behind that, <laughs> chatting with you and speaking to you in with nuance. Uh, and that's why I think it's super interesting uh, and and just easy to understand how this technology can be used in everyday life. That's why I think it's 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 out there, certainly from a layman's perspective, from a from a consumer perspective, from a 72 year old grandmother's perspective. Right. But from a business standpoint, it is to us just eye opening how it can transform our workforce and the way that we do things for our clients as a professional services firm, how we're seeing our clients kind of tinker with it and look at the possibilities of what this technology can do to bring to fore their own services, their own products to market in a differentiated and really fast way. It's exciting for many of those reasons, but I think it's just the broad accessibility of it um, as opposed to something that's a black, it's certainly a black box, but it's one that you can interact with now, today, not in the future, but now. Well, speaking of business opportunity around Gen AI and artificial intelligence more broadly, how is Deloitte engaging in this space? I think we've been in the space of artificial intelligence, Peter, for over a decade. So we've been tinkering with this technology, using it to a certain degree in some of our internal operations for that length of a time. Uh, the generative AI space is now the next iteration of artificial intelligence, as we chatted about earlier. But uh, to us as a business, we're seeing it kind of come into fruition in a few ways. The technology now gives us the ability to create content in spaces like marketing, PR, media, curated certainly by human beings. Uh, but it gives us kind of that first leg of research and ideation and drafting a, a faster way to get to that first draft. So that is the technology that's available now. 
The next stage of the technology that we're very excited about and kind of seeing our clients tinker around with also is basically the use of Gen AI to automate mundane things. And you would expect AI would have done that already, but automate it in such a way that it's conversational, especially in the space of customer service, especially in the space of code generation. Uh, very, uh, very exciting. It's heavily curated, as you can imagine, Peter, because these la- large language models are still, you know, and it, 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 the way that the, these uh, Gen AI tools are being um, are being trained is still in models that are needing some human intervention. Certainly, that is the case. But we could see pockets of automation being um, applied in the space that I'm most familiar with. Uh, which is which is the CFO function, we're most excited about things like investor relations and how can you craft that first story that goes out to the public markets when you publish your 10K or your SEC reports, as well as just how the drafting of that occurs, right, in, in greater speed and quality with fewer uh, man hours that are involved. You can use the man hours for the purposes of tweaking it to be much more pointed and nuanced as opposed to creating the first draft. Um, in the space of the general counsel, they're looking at it for contracting. You know, typical contracts that you would do for clients and for customers. Is that something that Gen AI could support and understand? Uh, as well as just research, uh, Peter. You know, there are studies that are being said that the the, the typical first year, second year, third year um, lawyers that are coming out, this is something that they're going to be utilizing much, much more heavily because the research is much more accessible to them with tools that are uh, that use nascent technology and language, right? So those are, I think, the exciting things that we're looking at. And then the, the, the next stage of it, the next five years and the next 10 years, actual use of it for drug discovery in such a way that the quality could be trusted because it learns on its own what is right and what is wrong, you know, what is good and what is bad, what quality really means. That to us is that 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 maybe that next iteration frontier for the technology, but there's certainly uses for it even now. And as it grows in power and quality, um, we can we can only see sort of you know sky's the limit of what the technology could be doing for our clients and especially for our firm. Well, AI technology certainly will evolve, but so too will the workforce around AI. And I understand that Deloitte has got some really interesting programs with regard to building up a, uh, a workforce, but also uh, a market around AI. Can you speak to a little bit about your efforts around Gen AI, the market incubator you have, as well as the Deloitte AI Academy? Well, Peter, to us, when we looked at this technology and we started to see the, the workforce side of it, we realized even in, in consultation with our peers and with other folks in the marketplace, our newest brethren, our newest folks that are coming in, our Gen Z workforce that are come from school coming into the workforce, they're the most nervous about this technology, Peter, because there's this, there's this notion that work that they would have done, the research that they would have done to try to get up to speed on in an apprentice model about how to be very good consultants and how to be very good professionals. That's already going to be taken over by Gen AI. But the reality is 
that isn't the case. And the way that we're doing it at Deloitte and the purposeful and intentional way that we're doing it is, number one, we're training our people on the technology. So the more you understand the technology, the less you fear the technology. And our view is that it's an augmentation of the workforce versus the replacement of the workforce. So everything that we do is still human-centered with technologies that are supporting us to be more efficient, more productive. It's important to have that human element all the way through. And our research around this is always thinking of ways to use the technology in enhancing the human in the way that they're more productive in the workforce as opposed to replacing the human. That, that is not going to occur, at least not in the way that we see the technology arising. So we are training our folks on the program, hands-on allowing them to use the program, and then sort of you know, informing us of the things that are working and not working by use of the program. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interactive, but also a very feedback-driven kind of a process to ensure that we're not leaving anyone behind, Peter. That's most important to us. We are 475,000 people strong organization. We will remain a people organization and with the various technologies that are coming to fore. The other thing I would say is that this is but another new technology, Peter, which we've gone through in many different ways. Robotics, um, uh, automated processing, various ERPs that weren't used there before. We went from pencil to, to calculator to the programs that we have now. And we've all there was always the risk, there was always the thought that it was going to replace you know, a massive part of the workforce, and it hasn't. In fact, what it's done is created more work, differentiated work, productive work for more resources. And that, to us, is kind of at the heart of this. Karina, what do you see as the future of AI in the workplace and the business world? You know, Peter, what a wonderful question. I think it's it's a marrying and a an harmonization of both. We have, through progress of humanity, have used technology in harmonization with the person, with the human. And the harmonization comes back down to the productivity elements of the work that's being done. So the more we're able to more efficiently use technology. And we saw this in a phenomenal way through COVID, where we didn't think we could work without actually meeting human beings every day in, in the office, right? Um, to go virtual fully, to then work with just, you know, with technology-enabled resources allowed us to understand how harmonious that could be. In my mind, generative AI will come to its full fruition when we are able to utilize it effectively, efficiently within our workforce and with our workforce. That's the future that it will have for us as a firm. And I think that's the, that's the future it'll have in the corporate world. Karina, your LinkedIn profile states that you're an eternal optimist. What gives you hope that companies can responsibly deploy AI models and tools? There are a few things, right? And I look at our next generation of resources they keep us honest, Peter. These are our millennials, our, our Gen Z, and the next generation of resources. They hold us accountable, leaders in, the, in, the, in corporates today. They hold us accountable to the stakeholders of an organization, not just the shareholders of an organization, Peter. And by stakeholders, that's the wider business community, as well as just community at large. 
that gives me hope that the the next generation that are the consumers, the next generation of consumers, the next generation of professionals will not stand for anything other than, uh, you know, sort of that harmonized workforce and that harmonized view of corporate plus community. That gives me hope that that will make and keep our corporates standing tall and having integrity and ethics embedded in the way that they do things. Because really, honestly, investors, the investor community, as well as just the whole stakeholder community, isn't going to stand for anything less than that. So that makes me very optimistic. The second thing I would say is, while regulation is a little bit slower, we've seen it in the past, it comes. It comes in the form of regulation, whether it's in the U.S., certainly in California, Peter, we know we want to be at the forefront of this um, in this state, but certainly even outside regulation with the EU, that's always been at the forefront of many of these things. It's going to force us to think about this more holistically. And the third thing I would say is even the ones that are developing the technology themselves, the big tech companies are out there in force speaking to the federal government, speaking to the state governments and saying they want regulation enforcement here. They know that they want this to be done in the right way. So all those three things kind of give me hope, Peter, that there are checks and balances that'll cause us to do good things here. We've had many executives and entrepreneurs here on Silicon Valley Vibes. Can you offer any words of advice to young professionals who are just beginning their journey? I would say, number one, think of yourself as a value creator. And I say this to everybody who joins our workforce. It doesn't matter the title that you come with. It doesn't matter the years of experience. Only matters your perspective on value and what you can put value in for the work that you do. So if you think of yourself as a value creator, sky's the limit of what you could achieve. Sky's the limit of what you could achieve. But that should be the mindset that you have. And in creating value for your clients, for your peers, for your teams, be informed. Do not be afraid to embrace new things. Do not be afraid to fail. That's how we all got to where we are, Peter, wouldn't you say? We've had a lot of like missteps along the way. Learn from it, got stronger. Missteps, learn from it, got stronger. So embrace that. That's part of the process of being stronger and better. So I, you know, that's probably what I would say, Peter. Karina, thank you so much for joining us today. I think some of your eternal optimism regarding the potential of AI is rubbing off on me, and our listeners appreciate you sharing insight about Deloitte's work in this space. Thank you again. Of course. Thanks, Peter. We'll be right back with more Silicon Valley Vibes after this. Hi, I'm Nadia Ahmad, Silicon Valley Leadership Group Foundation Board Member and serving on the Turkey Trot Steering Committee. I'm inviting and encouraging all of you, your coworkers, friends, and family to kick off Thanksgiving Day with the annual Silicon Valley Turkey Trot, the largest turkey trot in the country. Participation is welcome both in person or virtual from anywhere in the world. The Trot directly supports four charities, the Healthier Kids Foundation, the Health Trust, Second Harvest of Silicon Valley, and Santa Cruz County. It's a Thanksgiving tradition supporting your health while supporting the health and wellness of our community. Please go to svturkeytrot.com for information. We hope to see you there. 
It's your favorite AI announcer, Vivi. And now back to your favorite podcast, Silicon Valley Vibes. Welcome back to SVV. We're gonna shift gears a bit from generative AI to equitable net zero. I sat down with Lighten's Chief Sustainability Officer, Keith Norman, for an incredible and educational conversation about how Lighten's innovation is helping to bring us closer to that net zero goal. I appreciate the mission of Lighten and the fact that they are changing the way companies can meet basic operational needs for batteries, composites, and advanced sensing while doing so in a sustainable way. Let's listen in. Keith. Thank you for joining us today. I am really looking forward to our conversation to talk about something that currently many of us around the country are experiencing firsthand, which is climate change. Around the world, we're seeing some very extreme weather and people are being impacted by something that you know Al Gore warned us about, we knew was coming. So I'm really looking forward to our, our conversation today and would love to hear a little bit more about what you're working on. But before we get started, please give our listeners the high level overview of who you are and what you do. Definitely. And thanks for having me on, Nadia. So my name is Keith Norman. I'm the uh, Chief Sustainability Officer of uh, a startup company called Lighten, uh, based out here in the Bay Area, actually based in San Jose, uh, California. We are uh, fundamentally sort of doing two things. First, we are uh, bringing a, a new materials technology called three-dimensional graphene uh, into the market and kind of tying back into kind of your comments around climate change. We are actually doing that by sequestering uh, the carbon out of methane gas and turning it into a, a, a useful material. So that's the second part of the equation is that material is actually an ultra high performing material. So it, it's, we can use it to add strength, uh, add light weighting, add conductivity to other products. And so the other part of the equation is we're taking this material and turning it into applications that are not just decarbonizing, but just better performing. And that's sort of, you know, our, our formula, can they deliver a better performing product, a better price performance product, and a decarbonizing product. And if we can do all three of those, we can make a great business out of it. So that's what we're that's what we're going after. No, I love it. And I will say you are being extremely humble. You all are leading the way when it comes to that technology. Those two things you mentioned have been talked about for a really long time and been around. But before we get into that, would you mind taking a second and explaining a little bit more about what that sequestration is and how that contributes to the carbon reduction goals that we are all hoping to hit? Fundamentally, when we when we started, we we were going with a goal of how can we take a, a clear greenhouse gas, methane, and turn that into a part of the solution to the problem. And we actually started to do that based off of technology out of the uh, the silicon industry um, and the semiconductor industry that to convert that methane into hydrogen. So think about methane as carbon and hydrogen atoms. How do we break that apart and use the hydrogen? What we actually found through that process and now jumping forward you know, eight years um, is that the far more valuable part of what we were able to do is to create, to take the carbon, which was, was sort of initially viewed as a waste product, turn that into a high value, um, valuable material. And that's really been, been the focus. But the, you know, the core of that is um, we're able to do that without introducing any emissions. And so we don't, not going overly technical here, but it's not a combustion process. So no oxygen is included. So that means there's no oxygen to create carbon dioxide. And so we're able to, to take that methane and turn it into a carbon material and also into hydrogen. Both are great feedstocks into, into decarbonizing uh, industrial applications. Um, and so that's really been the kind of the ethos of the company from, from the start. Um, is really figuring out how to do that, not how to do that at scale, 
and then turning that product into, into applications. Perfect. Thank you for educating us all. And now that we're all experts on the science, I want to do a hard pivot to you all's approach, which is equitable net zero world. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the inception of this and how you all are approaching that goal. The pathways towards towards net zero is obviously not a new conversation and and maybe forecasting that we may see some tipping point in sort of in, in, in around the world as we just more visibly see the impacts of climate change, as you described in Washington, D.C., and we can make a long list of the different first times we've ever seen sort of scenarios across both the U.S., but also across the planet. You know, as, as we look at the challenge, one of the unique pieces that need to be solved when we think about climate change and, and energy transition is that every molecule of, of CO2 or methane you put in the air um, has the same impact on the planet no matter where it came from. So unlike, you know, localized pollution challenges where you have a lot of that focused in, you know, produced where you where you live, it doesn't matter where it came from. And so as we really look at this challenge, one of the core pieces is, you know, great, we can go put electric vehicles in, you know, in San Francisco and we can start to bring, you know, self-driving vehicles that potentially bring efficiency um, and we can start to deploying a lot of technologies in, in you know, some of the wealthiest areas. But if we can't solve that at a, at a broader scale across the world and across the developing world, then the, the amount of progress we're going to make is very limited, especially as we look at the, the profiles, which clearly indicate of, you know, developing economies, you know, there has not been, you know, an economy in the world throughout history that by growing economically, they grow in the number of emissions that they, that they release. Um, and so that, that's been fundamentally, okay, how do we go about solving that? And we're really excited that, you know, our three-dimensional graphene material really addresses what we believe is sort of a foundational component of how to try to break that cycle of how do we get economic growth with diminished or, or no sort of emissions growth. And fundamentally, that means you, you got to go put better performing products out there. In our, in our history, nothing scales because it's greener. It scales because it's better and it's cheaper. Um, and that's how you get mass scale, especially in developing economies um, where, where the economics really have to work. You know, we have a lot of places we can go put our material, uh, but we're really focusing in on those, that, those applications where we can demonstrate that by, by solving a, a materials problem. And so think about that as if we look around the challenges around energy use and around climate, much of that comes from just, you know, limitations of the amount of weight we need to move around, the amount of, of, of materials it takes to make the products that we use, build the infrastructure that we use. So fundamentally, there's a materials barrier in almost every part, you know, every layer of, of kind of the emissions value chain um, in the economic value chain. And so we're really targeting, okay, where can we actually start to go break some of those, you know, some of those links and say, can a better performing material give you the same or a better outcome of, of what you're using today, but actually can do that in a, in a manner that is a, a lower footprint. I'll, I'll give the example of one of our first products that's entering the market, which is uh, lithium sulfur batteries. So it's an alternative to lithium ion batteries. We have our pilot plant built and we're going to be delivering kind of to first initial customers here at the beginning of 2024. By utilizing our three-dimensional graphene, we can build a battery that doesn't require nickel, cobalt, manganese, graph, graphite. Think of all the major, uh, you know, a big chunk of the major mined materials, which require huge supply chains, big mining operations, huge costs to actually get those into, you know, build the infrastructure to supply that. And now can you actually deliver a battery, which, which is a much simplified set of materials that can be 
found locally and produced locally that actually has a better energy density than lithium ion, but at a lower weight. And because it's a simplified set of materials, the cost of the, the bill of materials or the cost go down by, you know, upwards of 50%. And so now you sort of go, okay, that's an application where we can use the material to get, you know, a better energy density battery at a lower price point with a simplified supply chain. And we know if we can help electrify more by, by solving the price and performance challenge, then that's going to help decarbonize large segments of the plant. So that's, that, that's a good example of the logic that we're, we're working through as we look at what are the right products to bring to the market. Silicon Valley Vibes will be back after this quick message. Hey everyone, Becca Killian here, Manager of Events for Silicon Valley Leadership Group with a reminder to register for this year's 45th Annual Forum presented by Amazon and PG&E. Our marquee event will take place on December 14th at Levi Stadium, home of the San Francisco 49ers. Open to all SVLG member company employees. This event will spark discussions on AI and its impact on elections. Don't miss a chance to hear about our rising startup initiative and exclusive networking with industry leaders, innovators, and policymakers at the cocktail reception. For more information on this event and to register, please go to svlg.org forward slash events. We hope to see you there. And we're back with the inspiration, with ideation, and with um, alliterations on Silicon Valley vibes. Welcome back to SVV. Nadia, what's in store for us in the second part of your conversation with Keith? I really like what you said about every molecule being global. You know, we continue to talk about that concept of every molecule being global, but also do a deeper dive on its background and how Lighten is thinking about and seeing the future all under the umbrella of what it actually means to do this in an equitable fashion, considering all that we're hearing and seeing in the world. So let's take a listen. And we know if we can help electrify more by, by solving the price and performance challenge, then that's going to help decarbonize large segments of the plant. So that's, that, that's a good example of the logic that we're, we're working through as we look at what are the right products to bring to the market. No, I appreciate that. I love the fact that you said, and I want to double click on it for our listeners, that every molecule is global. I know a lot of times when we think about carbon reduction and what we can do, it's something that happens at home, which is very important but we also have to have an eye towards the world and how those developing and emerging economies are experiencing you know, their desire to grow and you know, provide for their people with that balance of being able to do so in a way that was better than the first industrial revolution or things that relied heavily on combustion. I also appreciate the fact that you mentioned some of the solutions in that one application, but I know you all have others that you're working on. Are there others that you wanna share? And also, I know you have a very unique experience and background and exposure to the continent of Africa. Like, Keen to hear your thoughts on some of those other applications, but also how you see them playing out in some of those other, you know, markets and places around the world. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll briefly mention the, the other applications that we've identified to bring that we're trying to bring to market right now. You know, there, there's a large number of applications that, you know, we've got in our, in our runway and our pathway that we will get to, you know, as we continue to develop and grow. But there's really three that we're bringing to market. I mentioned the batteries. The second one is, is composites. So think about much of our infrastructure is, is, is built on composite systems that are some combination of plastics and materials that are put together to try to provide the right weight and strength. So it is part of bridges, it's part of airplanes, it's part of vehicles. It's You look around your house, you will find 15 different composites in, in about a 30-second scan. Fundamentally, much of that is built on a kind of a hydrocarbon-based um, you know, feedstock. And what we've been able to do is 
utilize our, our material to infuse that into the feedstock to be able to add strength and and by adding strength, we can reduce the weight and the amount of material required. And so we've found we're working on some applications right now where we can pull out upwards of 50% of the material and 50% of the weight of the composite, but still deliver the performance that it requires. So think about that as 50% of the, the hydrocarbons required, um, but also now you have a, 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 you know, a product that's half the weight. And so think about some of our customers in the supply chain as you're moving goods around the world, if you're looking at automobiles and aircraft, which are areas that we're focused in with this product, lightweighting those and the kind of energy efficiencies and fuel efficiencies that come with trying to move around lighter weight products. So that's that's sort of the second category. And the third category is um, entirely different, is uh, using the uh, the material for advanced sensing. And so this, this goes back um, into uh, AWS, uh, working in their energy business there around kind of the digital infrastructure. And one of the key challenges is if you can't see it and if you can't see emissions, it's really hard to to solve kind of in the real time, how do you optimize how you run those assets to try to minimize the amount of emissions and trying to really digitize and get that data across this big, heavy industrial infrastructure can be very, very expensive. So we're working on sensing uh, technologies that um, allow us to very, very simply and super, super, ultra low cost sensors, um, some of those entirely battery and wire, wireless free, be able to sense what's happening in equipment and in infrastructure so that we can start to see, are they degrading? Are they performing well? We can feed that data back in to help optimize how those assets run. So those are the three categories that we're, we're going after. Now you mentioned the long history in, uh, in, uh, in Africa. So I, so I spent the early part of my career at, uh, at ExxonMobil, um, running various parts of, uh, of, of their businesses around the globe, as well as uh, running the environmental organization for the upstream part of the, the corporation. But I spent 10 years in uh, between South Africa, Angola, Chad, and Nigeria. Yeah, about a 10-year period in my, mostly in my 20s, early 30s. And it was really, really clear as you just look at those economies and those those developing economies, maybe the most striking experience over that time period from the, I would call it the late 90s into kind of 2010, they entirely skipped a generation of technology when it came to telecommunications. As we looked into a lot of those economies and the developing economies having very little to no communication to you know, skipping the landlines and, and, you know, home phones and all those straight into cellular. Example I always keep in my head as I think about the energy transition in developing economies of they don't need to follow the same path that we followed. And, and we followed a path that has helped develop technology sometimes over decades that we have an opportunity to deploy those technologies. Again, if we can get them right. And those technologies all were, I still go back on the back of they were better, they were cheaper. They were more scalable. If you can't solve those things, you just you you, know, you you can't get into the scale and the impact that you that you need to have. And so it's a great example of that you can skip that entire generation technology and move an opportunity forward. And we're taking that same ethos as we look at how do we think about electrification, how do we think about decarbonizing the you know the grid infrastructure, how do we think about ways to really drive down emissions in developing economies with that same mindset of how do we skip generations of technology. So I personally am a huge fan of leapfrogging. Also experienced the same during my time on the continent in Uganda and in South Africa, where, as you mentioned, cellular service was king, but also was highly efficient, worked very well, and didn't need to go through the steps of having to put up the old telephone poles. Um, from back in the day in my childhood, et cetera, but also too, 
as you mentioned, being able to make the case for being able to use what's new and out there. If it is better performing, if it's cheaper, if it's more efficient, then there's a strong and solid case to be made. Um, I know we are about to brush up on our time together. So wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to share with our listeners, um, any insights, any keen findings, anything that you're excited or hopeful about when it comes to climate change and reducing carbon emissions. So I am, um, my wife would claim I'm just like overly optimistic about everything. So um, so you maybe have to take this with a grain of salt. I do, I do think we're kind of holding two conflicting views right now. And I think it's important you know, we're seeing some of the outcomes of of energy of of climate change now, and 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 now that we're seeing those things, we're you know we're recognizing some of the potential impacts, and that has sort of a, a negative feel to it. But at the same time, the, the progress of the, the technology is taking, and the focus and the amount of capital going in to actually try to solve some of these challenges, and people starting to understand maybe the, the full life cycle economics of not solving this problem and what happens when we think about the infrastructure and the costs that's going to be put in place to adapt to a, to a hotter climate you know, as we approach one and a half degrees Celsius and beyond. The fuel is there to, to really drive significant, significant change. And, you know, so we, you know, just recently announced our, our series B investment where, you know, we were able, we raised uh, about $200 million in this in this round, and a lot of that is coming from very large uh, entities like uh, Federal Express, um, like Stellantis, the third largest auto manufacturer, like Honeywell, um, who are all investors in that round, who are all looking at this going, I, I need to build better. I need to build better products. My, my shareholders, my customers will not accept anything but better. Um, but I need, I have now got a, a clearly stated goal in the pathway by you know, be that 2035, be that 2038, be that 2050, everybody's got their different, you know, their different pathways and timelines, but it's very clear. And from the top of those companies, they're saying you need to deliver both. Like it needs to be better and it needs to be, and it needs to have a impact, you know, on the energy transition and impact on climate. That's just a beautiful place to be as a, as an innovator and, and, you know, as emerging company. And and that's really where we're targeting to say, okay, we've got to help help you deliver both. And I think companies now that, that can really start to, to show that they can play both sides of that and, and both the better and, and cleaner, I think the runway is, is going to be, is going to be fantastic. And there's, there's a bunch of uh, opportunity ahead of us. And, you know, I think we're, we're seeing industry leaders really step up and say like that, that's the pathway we're going and, and we've got the capital, we've got the resources, we've got the intellectual uh, capability to go do it. So we're going to go do it. Now, I'm here for the optimism. I'm also aligned and here for the expectation that you can do both things and that there is a concerted and discreet and clear focus on being able to make sure that we do things differently than we've done in the past, but also that we are solving some of these very hard challenges and doing so in a manner that is accessible and a good, viable option for everyone. So, Keith, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed our conversation and looking forward to hearing and keeping and paying attention to all the great things that are on the horizon for Lighten. Definitely. Thank you, Nadia. It was a great conversation. And so that was the conversation. You know, this was one of my favorites, and I know I say that all the time, but being able to talk about cutting edge technology, but also keeping in mind some of the big and audacious goals we have for climate and sustainability, and then doing a little bit of, you know, back and forth about the marriage of East and West when it comes to blending technology innovation with some of the things that we know are common sense, practical solutions for meeting our energy, sustainability, and environmental goals. Nadia, you're right. 
Our speaker shared about two cutting edge technologies, each with the power to transform the way we think about sustainable and creative productivity. And that wraps up this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, with millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details, but you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes featuring Deloitte and Lighten. Produced by human Chuck Dickinson alongside a bunch of other humans at Silicon Valley Leadership Group. And from all of us at SVV, thanks for listening and we hope you have a great day.